movie podcast, a podcast where increasingly Sam and I uh, watch a movie and then we talk about it and bemoan Ross's absence. Um, <laughs> my name's David and I'd love to live in this town, population six. Uh, <laughs> it's always Christmas. Uh, hello, my name's Sam and the Imaginary Movie Podcast presented by Two Gremlins. <laughs> Put the music over us there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, we just yes, look welcome. like gremlins, Sam. We don't have gremlin powers. It's, we've, we've got all the, all the downsides of being a gremlin and none of the upsides. All the drinking or smoking light. as well. Uh, we, can, we can eat after midnight, um, as attested by my, my gif. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> to be fair, it is a prime snacking time, isn't it? Past twelve p uh, twelve a.m. is like I'll tell you what. I'm really I, good I really, at just. I empathise with those gremlins when they in that big plate of chicken chicken drumsticks, and I was like, number one, why have you got so many chicken drumsticks just in the fridge cooked? But I was like, oh yeah, I it's can like forty chickens. I can murder. I can murder that plate of chicken chicken drumsticks. Well, that's exactly what happened to those poor chickens that you're murdering. Just for food, it's a food chain. Sam, this is a separate <laughs> podcast. Separate podcast about the fucking unbelievable holocausty nature of hatcheries. Oh, um, oh, Jesus. So, this week uh, we watched uh, Gremlins from 1984, mm. a long mm. time ago. We'd both seen this, but I, on my part, I had seen this many moons ago when I was like 15 or whatever. So, you know, that period of my life where I watched lots of movies. So I had almost no memory of this. Like the plot, I was it was like watching it again. I remembered a couple of scenes. I remember the start, especially because I was always loved that like Chinatowny thing they've got going on. I had no idea what was coming though, <laughs> and I remember the ending a little bit. But it was just it was it's one of those films that you think how good could it hold up? Like it's for a film from 1984. I've not seen it for 15 years. There's no way this is going to be. Uh, completely wrong. This is a great, great movie that holds up in a way that is quite remarkable. Like you can see why this made so much money. You can see why this was just an absolute box office success and the impact, like the cultural impact it had, because it's just so good. It's just so it's well made. Like, and it's... Everyone is get... working hard. We can get into the bits and pieces in a second. Uh, I love this movie. I see. I watch this movie. At least every year, I went through a phase for two or three years where um, I would insist that this we put this on at family Christmas and I would just sit and watch Gremlins in the afternoon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a film that takes place at Christmas. Um, well, I, well, I have a bit about this because my wife is uh, insistent, insistent that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And I, I, I think that, you know, my view is that it is because it's set at Christmas and it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's thematically has Christmas in it. And so when I said, well, what about what about Gremlins? And she goes, oh yeah, that's a Christmas movie. I'm like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> this is as violent as Die I Hard suppose, is. I suppose, Sam, and Die yet, Hard is a movie that takes place at Christmas, but it's about a husband and a wife and their marital problems and then a bunch of German terrorists taking over this office party. Gremlins this about is a different? movie where a father buys his son a Christmas present. 
that's the part. I still think no. I still I still think that if you're going to be as broad to suggest that Gremlins is a Christmas movie, then so is Die Hard. So is like again. I don't think we need to be hard and fast about this. I think it, it's a wide. There's a difference, isn't there? In like Home Alone's a Christmas movie. Uh, Elf is a Christmas movie. Die Hard yeah. is definitely on the fringes of like you know. It's, yeah, it's an adult Christmas movie, <laughs> yeah. just like Gremlins is. Like this, you know, you wouldn't put this on for your kids necessarily. But but anyway, my marriage collapsing aside on this basis, uh, it's it is. I think it is a very. It, it does have that Christmas feel, and it only adds to. And you think almost every movie should just take place at Christmas. Like this is a great. This is a. This is just a great setting. Everything is enhanced by the fact that this is happening at Christmas. Yeah. And it means they get to mine so many different, like, you know, the 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 dead dad speech and stuff. <laughs> that is, is just... so out of... We can get into maybe some of the, the really dark aspects of this film. Give me a plot summary, Sam, and then we can jump straight into to, to the movie. Sure. So in a plot summary that, just like last week, has a distinct lack of commas, <laughs> a young man inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. <gasps> like, Jesus Christ, IMDb, we've got to get better. We've got to get better at adding commas, uh, commas to that. That's horrific. So there's a couple it's, of things I wanted to mention before we get into talking about the plot of the movie, and I'm going to insist go. we do it now. Uh, mm-hmm. So we recently did uh, Small Soldiers, which is another Joe Dante movie. Uh, yeah. From from anyway, refer to our previous episode, uh, which is very much Google tra- it. Ape the- just Google it, dickhead. Um, <laughs> n- note to self: don't call listeners dickheads. Mm. Oh, I don't like it though. Anyway, four, right? anyway, yeah. separate issue, separate issue. Um, like so, that's another Joe Dante movie where they're trying to sort of like maybe rebuttal some of this magic, and it's a very similar sort of plot. It doesn't work as well, I don't think, because the toys aren't threatening. <laughs> toys aren't scary (laughs) whereas the gremlins in this are kind of a bit scary you know Mm. they've got claws Mm. they jump around they move very fast um you know they smoke and they drink and that's scary uh yeah and that's where this film works that is why this film works is because they are really scary now there's obviously famous stories about people seeing the cute little characters and taking their six-year-olds along <laughs> to the cinema to sit them down in 1984 and then realise, you know, after about 20 minutes when 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 the, when the mum is, is microwaving these gremlins alive <laughs> and, and putting them in, you know... Uh, they got off lucky, uh, Sam. The original script, I think, called for the gremlins cutting this woman's head off and throwing it down the <laughs> stairs. Uh, I think was the original script. Uh, so I think ultimately this is quite a happy-go-lucky it's, movie it's, where it's only tame, a couple of people it? get murdered. But but what is but, but what um, I think they were trying to capture in Small Soldiers, they were trying to have their cake and eat it because they were trying to have a scary movie with these horrible creatures that are going to come out and cause havoc to this small-town America. Um, and they were also trying to sell a fuckload of toys which and you know, like we discussed on that episode, how this had a Burger King deal, and and then on the box it said, while we've you know while these toys are uh, you know the, the the Burger King Happy Meal, whatever it's called, the kids meal, this movie isn't necessarily for all children to watch. 
Whereas they didn't have to worry about any of this with Gremlins because it was the first go. It was like, it kind of really, it broke new ground, didn't it? Um, and I think this and Ghostbusters came out on the same day. It kind of like, we have scary elements in these movies that aren't necessarily for young audiences, but it's that this was a new way of presenting like them. Traditional horror fair. Like Ghostbusters is a great, obviously same day, but great movie to compare it to. Where... You take a traditionally horror movie or B-horror movie or whatever, ghosts, and then you turn that into a comedy. And this is kind of like you take a monster movie and you make it funny. And maybe like a lot of movies hadn't done that before this. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously loads of movies since, especially like, you know, Gremlins probably veers more towards sort of the kids uh, orientated um, sort of like market maybe. Yeah. And I think you were saying as well about the PG... 13 thing that, yes that... pg-13 is the we got it a lot later but i think um so what i think is a 12a over here 12 so basically a, yeah. meaning is it a pg-13 is you've got to be 13 years old or you've got to be accompanied by an adult a bit like over here where a 12a you've got to be 12 or if you're under 12 you've got to have have an adult with you mm-hmm. who basically is mm-hmm. there to say i approve of my child watching this but i mean 12a is not like a but but it kind of worked in that thing of like we are as you said we're going to take horror elements, and it's what I love about this film in so many ways in that as you're watching it you're seeing the tricks of the trade you're seeing how many Dutch angles where they turn the camera ever so slightly and it creates a sense of you know discordance and like there's just so many little uh, tricks from horror movies applied to this and done in a kind of fun way and then obviously the whole the whole uh, uh, little cute creatures and stuff. It's kind of intentionally there to trick you a little bit. And well, they start The only the thing that makes one. this movie not like a straight horror movie is the fact that they're puppets. If this was a CGI nightmare of like, you know, howling monsters, like ultimately it would probably be quite scary. I mean, I don't think it would yeah. be as good, but it'd probably be scary. Whereas like the fact that, <clears throat> you know, the Mogwai looks like a, what are those little toys we used to get as kids? Um, Furbies or something. Furbies. It looks like a Furby. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it's cute. It's got big eyes. It's adorable. Like, that's the only thing that makes this funny. Like, do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Otherwise, it could be quite a serious sort of teenagers running away from um, monsters movie, which would do a ten a penny. It, and, it, and it wouldn't. I don't think it would have had the same impact because it wasn't. You know, the, the humour is, is what makes it, isn't it? That's where Joe Dante comes in, I think, because his his tone and it, it looks like he had to defend this quite heavily to say, I'm not going to remove, you know, some of these these scenes. I'm not going to compromise to the point where it's going to take away the point of the movie. Now we do get, obviously, as you said, uh, the original the intention of the mother being killed as part of this. <laughs> that was removed. That's probably a good choice, just from the fact that. She's a decent enough character and she gets like quite a lot to do. She's pretty kick-ass in terms of yeah. killing these different monsters in fun and creative ways. So it's, that's good. But... It's that rule, isn't it, where like if someone's murdered, it's fine. If they're a bad guy, because um, they murder the um, Ebenezer Scrooge, Mrs. Ebenezer Scrooge, and I can't remember her actual name. Um, they murder her and they murder, you don't see it, uh, the neighbours, uh, the drunk neighbour, the racist neighbour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the damn foreigners, yeah. Yeah, the 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 other one, the the scene that they d- 
did really try and push to get out is the one we've mentioned already with the dead dad um an urban legend i think but just great a great telling um you know for for the character's point of view and that's where they said the studio was like right you've got to take that out you've got to take that out you know it's too much it's too much even spielberg was a bit like "Ah, i'm not really sure but he resisted and i think that is the spirit of this film isn't it is this out of nowhere for almost no reason for a character that doesn't really need to have like an arc develop we're just going to have this amazing story about how her dad died in the in the chimney suffocated because he was trying to come down the chimney with presents like just fucking top quality filmmaking out of nowhere doesn't the context isn't important but it adds to the tone of the movie and that's where i think all the way through the choices they make whether it's the technical in terms of like the you know the the camera movement even the start of the movie when we get this completely again like homage to like uh, 70s chinatown movies and all of these choices were, were, were the right ones and as a package i think it's like more than the sum of its parts in some ways you know it really just comes across so well it's because tonally it... quite clever where the first sort of yes. um the chinatown thing i mean it, the they lean on the tropes of chinatown it's mysterious and it's it's you know the smoke don't and do this a lot anymore and... but you know the whole like oh for the far east it's so magical and mystical and mysterious yeah. and we buy the mogwai we get our three rules out of the way chekhov's fucking uh rules for looking after mythical beasts um <laughs> And then we go and we have like maybe the first 20 minutes, half an hour of this movie up until um, the Mogwai gets wet. It's kind of just like a nice, sleepy little movie. We get to meet Phoebe Cates. We get to meet George Reinhold. We get to meet Mrs. Scrooge. You know, all these characters who, by the way, is threatening to murder this dog. So straight off the bat, I suppose we're being a bit like... It's the first hint. It's the first hint. (laughs) If if I'd taken my six-year-old to this film... And I'm sat down, and he's got his popcorn. But, oh, it's a fun, whatever, you know, Furby, whatever film's fine. I'm not really paying attention. It's the first time I'd be going, I'm sorry, what now? You're going to put the dog in the dryer? Is that, did, you just, did you just say that? Is that, oh, mm, okay. Yeah. That's a little, I mean, it's a bit strong, but I guess we'll carry on. You know, like, who knows? Steven's... But- Steven Spielberg's name's all over it. I know. He makes family movies. <laughs> yep. E.T. So <laughs> we also get like the the dad, um, who I love. And I love how little he's in the movie as well. It works perfectly. And all of his inventions. There's a real, there's a real Back to the Future it's vibe so, to this. The so town weird. that they film it in is the same back lot they filmed Back to the Future on, which is why it looks really say- familiar, yeah. I was really... I, I literally thought of that, but I didn't... Re- I should have... I should have told you and then you would have made me feel really clever by noticing obviously all the store frontages are different but it's the same street setup and basically when they film a new movie there they'll just well not now because it'll be gone for decades but they would just put new storefronts on and so the street's the same it's the same like a town square yeah like quad Um, yeah that's amazing but you get all these ridiculous inventions um which i love i love the dad doing a spiel uh i particularly love the faces that the face that the mum's doing a great acting job of like and the son, they're using these piece of shit inventions. The coffee machine mm-hmm. that kicks out brown sludge, the the orange yep. machine is is there an there is an easier way to make orange juice. 
<laughs> yeah. The Homer Simpson <laughs> masking onto his, his forehead, yeah. My and mate, he's like, I, Dr. Nick, yeah. The, the remote for the telephone. Like, every time we're in their house, they are insisting on using these these things that don't work. And it's like... And I love that the undertone of that is that these... And they're poor as well. They, they mentioned that Sun's basically supporting the family. Like, there's a real undertone in this movie where, like, this dad is a piece of shit. Like, he's not making... He's spending all their money. The son's out working to keep the fucking house. Like, it's... Yeah. Again... Presented in this, I, like, oh, isn't this fun, isn't it? But it's cleverly written enough think, that it's like, yeah, that's, quite, there's, there's a dark like, humour just in that, you know? I quite like the character, though. He seems well-meaning, even if he's a bit of a doofus. He's a Homer he's like, Simpson you know, type, for sure. Home, yeah, exactly, before he turned nasty Homer. The, 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 um, I love the hammer, which is a good, and that's a, that's a Homer Simpson invention, actually a good reference in the Simpsons <laughs> to that. A good reference to The Simpsons four years before, four, five years before Kemp started. No, I meant the other way around. Yeah, yeah. But we also we we do get some like uh, payoff set up and payoff with the industrial strength blender that he's got that that, that manages to kill the gremlin. That's true. Um, I love the orange juicer thing. That whole scene is just amazing when it's like flying out and the actors clearly try not to laugh. You know, just as it just spraying and it. And orange, it keeps going. It's one of those things where, like, it's funny the first time when it explodes, and then it, you think it's finished. Corey uh, Feldman comes in, uh, and and it just keeps going, and it's it's like you can imagine the director of set just pushing a button, more orange, more orange, yeah. just going. It's great, but it's um, but I think that works though, doesn't it? It works in the context of the film, and that's where you like, we didn't need this plot. We didn't need to have the dad be... The dad could just be a normal dad who's just sat there watching TV, like, not really engaging. We kind of... The gremlin could have turned up, just... He could have found it somehow. You know, Mogwai could have just been found. And, like... But there's just an extra little bit of flavour that they managed to bring because... It lends itself to the, to the effects and the, like, the... Um... The set designers and the the prop designers in this film are like just having a bit of fun. Um, there's a great Everyone's scene later. Fun. I don't know if you noticed it. The dad is calling from the convention um, to the house. Yeah, with all the background. And there's a time machine in the, a time machine from HG Wells time. HG Wells, yeah. In the background, plus the any phone robot, and then it goes pans to the mother. It pans back, and the time machine's gone. I know. <laughs> and it's just like again, it's made with a clever enough eye that, that, that Dante and, and the people involved in like you know, obviously it's not just him making these decisions. Like they're clever enough that are leaving all these Easter eggs for you and it's kind of maybe why this movie is so why I watch it every year, because the score's fantastic. Um I hope that you will edit some of it into the beginning at least. because uh, it just sort of stays <laughs> we'll in your head. Um the score's fantastic. It's fun. The movie moves. I think what is it? One one forty. One forty. I mean, just hard to argue. Congratulations, with that. Dave. Congratulations for picking a not quite ninety minute, but sub two hour movie. Too often we're watching movies that are you know beyond that, and and and, and yet there's so much packed into this. That's what's so great about it. You know, there's so much packed in, and we we get like. The Chinatown stuff, and then we're back into this kind of sleepy teen thing that's going on, and then we've got the you know the the dad comes home and and he's saying right here's our you know Chekhov's rules as, as you said, 
Jackal's rules. But uh, it doesn't like bright light, which means that we can shoot the whole film in semi-darkness, which will hide all the strings. I think is a is yeah a great in canon. Like it's 1984. We can't do any digital animation because computers basically don't exist. Uh, so all of these things are animatronic puppets. And if we look at them too closely, people will realise that they are poorly constructed animatronic puppets. So we'll light it poorly, and we won't spend too much time. You know, we're not and we won't it. worry about it because we've got a movie to make. We've only got eleven because million dollars. Because it's nineteen eighty-four, exactly. It's it's a quite a good story about how where this film came from. Written by Chris Columbus, backed by Steven Spielberg, and I love how the start it says Steven Spielberg, Gremlins, and you're like. Uh, why is he, is Steven he Spielberg it? has I mean this was Steven Spielberg was on top of the world and like I think he still does this his production company where he, does, he presumably just... like fucking signed signed a signed a check or like signed a contract to receive some money and then he can put his name at the beginning of the movie and it'll get people out to the cinema to watch it yeah less cynically he does seem to be quite involved in in that whole process in and, this one, and when yeah. you get when you get like Steven Spielberg was involved you think well great he's He's going to be on set a little bit, maybe. He might give you some tips, some pointers about how to do the direction, but you're not going to say no to that. And it's that thing, I think it's the creative freedom that that probably provides, I imagine is quite a a powerful thing. You know, you can more easily say no to the executives who want to take out that, you know, Santa Claus death scene from your, from your movie by having, um, by saying, well... Maybe we should uh, should we should we give Stephen a call and see what he thinks. You know that would be quite a good line to get out of a lot of this. Uh, this situation. yeah, because like Joe Dante didn't didn't, didn't have the clay. He made the Howling, I think, which I've not seen. Um, no. But this was kind of like an early movie for him, uh, so he definitely didn't have the clout to tell the studio to get fucked, basically. So he'd be like, "Well, I'll call Steve down here. He, only his friends call him Steve. I'll call Steve down here, and he'll he'll have something to say about this." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend, my friend Stevie. Stevie, I don't um, think he goes by Stevie. The, Mr. The, Spielberg, the, <laughs> Mr. The, Spielberg, to you, you cretin. To you. The um, the overall plot, though, I think is pretty well well formed, and I like I like the characters as um, this is Zach Galligan and, and Phoebe Cates as like the two. You know, like it's, it's that classic young young love type of thing. They're all working together, and they want to. And when you then take that and then add the gremlins, it adds such a fun like atmosphere. There's there's such well, a great quite, sense of it's quite simple, isn't it? We're not going from location to location to location. We're not driving around to no. talk to the old man in the mountains who knows about gremlins who can tell us how to beat the gremlins. Like <laughs> ultimately, the, the plot of this movie is we get the gremlins, the you know we get the, we get the Mogwai, the gremlins, the gremlins go bad, they start eating people and fucking shit up. We set fire to some places and we have a fight and that's it. Yeah, and that's kind of all you want, isn't it? That's all yeah. you want from a movie like this. You, you don't want to get, get some too... killer death scenes. I really like the the school teacher getting killed. Um, I think is he gives a good performance. Then he gets a fucking hypodermic needle in the eye. Um, mm. You know, like mm. great look of it implies this threat of like, oh fuck, these gremlins, these gremlins are killing people. Uh, I love the neighbor. They them dying again. The dog gets strung up. The cops who could not give a shit and they're just in the police station drinking love because again trope. there are six people in this town. I love I love that trope. My the other example being Home Alone, where they she literally phones and says, <laughs> "My sons were left home alone." They're like, 
and what we <laughs> and. could not give a shit about this like, it's a great it's a great you know in fact i'd prefer that if cops were actually like that rather than you know homicidal maniacs if they could just be uninterested and just let things kind of happen that might actually be better overall than than getting involved but there's there's just lots of again there's lots of like there's little touches where you think that's clever someone's thought about that someone's developed a little character inside their head that works on this level you know um the the whole like and the whole basic concept of what a gremlin is is fun and the rules of the gremlin as well like so obviously don't feed them and all that stuff but don't get them wet and you think well of course they're going to get them wet and then to see what happens when they do they start multiplying like a but they're not triple. yeah it, it does look exactly like a trouble isn't it but they're not also they're not kind of the, the the new gremlins are nasty gremlins you know they're they're troublesome they're like picking a fight they're breaking stuff already and the contrast between that and gizmo who is a is a like great little character design with little ears and stuff super cute you can see why people took their kids to see to see this because they were saw the the poster of that of the trailer and thought oh look at him he's nice and so that like the way that they set that up and actually kind of build up to the horrible gremlins which are just amazingly designed with a big horrible teeth and they just look so fucking evil like it's a even great when piece of... even when they're like the mogwai even when they're before they're before they eat after midnight um like they're, they're still a little bit that's when they string the dog up um and they're still like a little bit a little bit evil um mm. i think the original script called for so there was only going to be one gremlin originally until it multiplied as a gremlin it was going to be stripe so the, the main gremlin um but then they decided they needed like a a, a person analog we need like a good monster to make us understand how evil the evil monsters are yeah um, which i think works quite well because then they've got to like look after and rescue him i think it, it's a lot easier the puppetry because it's just this little animatronic it's, it's a furby basically you and i could probably get like a similar um a similar similar footage of it with a furby uh with minimal <coughs> minimal puppetry um which again i think um, lends itself to working quite well there, there was some good te- they did use some good techniques so there's a couple that I noticed so one is um, they've got they, they've got a bigger one they've got a bigger more articulated uh, for the close ups gizmo for the close ups which is really clever because you think well you'd have to do we design this really intricate model that the actor can hold and then like we have to each you know each eye needs a motor and then how do we make the forehead go down or where they just have a close-up of the face, which doesn't can't move, you just sit there, and that's that's clever itself. There's also one shot where he's got he picks up the Furby, and it's moving a little bit. Maybe there's like strings or something, just to you know maybe or a little bit of robotics or whatever else. And then he puts it down, and just for a split second, they don't show him putting it. They don't show him putting it down. They show him just the the camera is just a little bit above. And then they go down. So he puts it down. Someone quickly takes it. And what they've got on the table is a different one, the one that's static, yeah. that basically just sits there and is, again, more artic- its ears move or whatever else. It more articulates further. And so there's like lots of little tricks like that. And you think, I love those pre-CGI, uh, pre-computer graphics, like 
we have to find creative, practical solutions to making this shot work. And it's clever and someone in has that to think way. About that it's a very technically, not just... technically accomplished movie. Um, yeah. it, all the gremlin stuff, really, because you've got to be able to have these actual real things. Because I could be wrong. This is even pre-Roger Rabbit, I think. Um, although, correct me if I am wrong on that. I know it is. Uh, I think Roger Rabbit. Anyway, so like you 88, have to have, yeah, it you is have, to have yeah. a real thing for the for the your actors to play off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't really composite it. That you know no, these aren't composite shots. You can't fucking film like a room full of these robot animatronic um, gremlins and then add your human characters afterwards because like, you can't. It's too difficult to do. So all this is happening in real time. So you've got your puppeteers have got to be good enough to like imagine you're on the set. You're Phoebe Cates. You've got to like be behind the bar lighting the gremlin cigarettes or whatever she's doing for whatever reason. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and it's take one, right? So you're going to get behind the bar. You can do that. Oh, Phoebe, you're off your mark. Right, like, you're back. The puppeteers are presumably going to be having to do the same thing every take, like the same actions with fucking 40 gremlin puppets. Yeah. You know, because like, they are animatronic to a certain extent, but they aren't remote controlled by any, any well, still imagination. A lot of there work, are still people yeah, with sticks they? moving their arms about you know etc etc um and i just think that's like a phenomenal like to have it be this competent as well where you, there aren't scenes where you're like all right well that fucking gremlin just fell off the wall or you know that one's not moving properly or it, I, I think that's really impressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just that it's that real craft isn't it it's that real craft that real ability to to work hard and to get the result out of it and that's what i think this film um kind of sums up there's a great quote from uh dante who says i still have no idea why this film was successful <laughs> and 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 you can totally see that can't you you can totally see that in the sense that it's quite sloppy in a lot of ways it's quite kind of like there's you it's know we're maybe not poor. yeah but it, it, it's almost like a b movie in yeah. some senses and and all the things we're talking about, all these like technical tricks and stuff, you think that is that's kind of like fun, and it's fun to watch as a like as a as a movie nerd. But you also have to tell a good story, and you have to be able to present stakes, and you have to have setup and payoff, and you have to have all these things that you, that work to make a good movie. And so, as well as it being like it's fun and engaging, and there's lots of stuff happening, it actually takes you on a pretty good journey. And you become quite like when these you mentioned the bar scene, you know, when when these uh, when these gremlins are just smoking and drinking, and just, playing poker, just dancing, the ultimate <laughs> levels of debauchery, like that is great to watch in itself. But it also makes sense in terms of the story, in terms of like how we're going to get to the point. This is what the, this is what the gremlins want. This is what they want. They just want to fucking go for it on all levels and completely and utterly gorge themselves and all like and just cause havoc and destruction and like that's enough isn't it that's enough to base your movie on you don't need much more than that in terms of what no. the gremlins want or and why it's, they're there. a lot of it's the competence as well of i don't think phoebe kate or what's the main guy called i, I think they're both fine i think they're both doing a fine job there's a reason they didn't go on to have careers as leading people in hollywood yeah, um, but like oh well I only know Phoebe Cates because she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High just before this, and then she married Kevin Klein. Oh right, there you go. Um, and then stopped appearing in things, I think, largely. 
Uh, but like, you know, you've got two actors to come in. You've got this going on. You've got supporting actors around it. But it's the Gremlin show. But because of that, because you don't need like, they don't feel the need to have this be a love story about these two characters, which I think is a real benefit of it. I mean, it's going on, but it's not like the thing of the movie. Um, because they don't feel the need to have them like, oh, the gremlins are going to fucking launch a nuclear bomb and destroy half the United States. No, <laughs> the gremlins are just going to fucking continue to like drink all the booze, set fire to things, kill people and presumably fuck each other. Like until the end of days. Uh, and that those are the stakes. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, That's our characters aren't even really in mortal danger as such. They just feel some kind of responsibility to stop these things. I think that works out perfectly for the movie because it's so grounded of like, we can sit down at the end and the FBI aren't swarming all over the place because it's, but you know, you've blown up half a fucking state. You know, you know, there's been a fire and some smashed windows. So you're fine. You're fine. Sometimes, you know, an incident happening in small town America is enough. Like we don't have to have the, the, the massive national Marvel punch fight. Yes. Yes, we can have just this little self-contained story geographically, as well as it being just about the six. Well, because no one lives in this town. No one comes exactly. out of the house and goes, "Why is the cinema on fire?" No one lives yeah. close enough yeah. to be to say that. And, and it, it it does it makes you quite nostalgic, like. And I think Back to the Future probably captures the captures this the best in terms of like the nineteen fifties town, which of course didn't exist. You know. Same town, and there's and they're all white people, and there's all these like the, the you know these but. I like that, and I like I like eighties movies in general for that that feel of an eighties movie, which is it's not we haven't got you know a lot of computer stuff in there. It feels kind of there isn't this self seriousness that seems to um, develop in the nineties and then you know smashes its way into Marvel movies in in the early two thousands. We can just have fun. Movies can just be small, and they can just be for what they are. We don't need to have part of some wider fucking cinematic universe. And there's also well. something to be said for things that are filmed on backlots. And I know that we, we, we've we said the opposite of that in several podcasts. Because uh, yeah. like sometimes it is a bit like noticeable, but also you can you can film it like this where every building basically splits in two and you can get cameras on any side of it to film. And it means that you can film it in a much more... You see the town, you understand the town. They're not trying to fucking film it in an apartment in New York, closing off streets and, you know, it just makes yeah. the film flow just that little bit better. Um, which, which is exactly the type of thing. Funnily enough, I was reading earlier, Ghostbusters um, opened at the same weekend as we discussed and in most places, Ghostbusters did better than this because it's a, you know, it's a different level. Ghostbusters is a is like a... Defining it, movie. It, it, it is like a match a above this. Movie. Yeah, Ghostbusters <laughs> did better in most cities except New York, with some speculation that it's because they were fu- the New Yorkers were sick to death of having this movie <laughs> filmed in their streets and blocking off streets, and they couldn't go places and all this all the disruption it caused. I like that as a little a little fact where Gremlins did better in in New York yeah. than than this. You know, quite a big thing to be going up against. I mean, you got Steven Spielberg. But then Ghostbusters, you know, in itself was a really strong film as well. But to be having those two head to head, you don't think about that. You know, no. The... Well, I think especially Afterwards. nowadays we're so far removed from the the release schedule. Um, you know, the typically like most films would come out in May or in December. <laughs> most films, yeah. 
um, because that's you know that's when you made your mo- the most money. You released a film for the summer, all the kids would go and see it. You released a film at Christmas. But People even this was pre-summer blockbuster, wasn't yeah. it? Really, you know, or, or maybe just very early days um, of like was not quite not like not like the nineties where we were just we were really the summer blockbuster was a massive thing. You know, it was still a little bit more tentative. Yeah. I think, that, um, you know, but that, like know. very different to now, and especially I mean, COVID's changed everything again. But like, especially now, where even pre-COVID, I mean, release dates would be staggered throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Especially things that are like this that wouldn't necessarily have been, you know, what I mean, this wouldn't have been aiming for any awards. Awards kind of skews it and has always done. Uh, if people are, you know, releasing a film to sort of garner attention at festivals, but like, you know, for a pure like popcorn movie like this, which is just a stick it in cinemas, people go and see it, we'll make money cracking, and then next year no one will ever talk about it again, and we'll release another one, and we'll make money on that too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, things is... have changed. Um, how much money did this money did this make? Well, I was just about to talk about that. Yeah, it, so this on an eleven million eleven million dollar budget, it made a total, uh, and this is like up to within the last few years because of a couple of re-releases, two hundred twelve point uh, nine million. Compare that to Ghostbusters, which made a budget of twenty five to thirty. Made two hundred ninety-five, so you know it's a good chunk more, but we're still we're still well into two hundred million. Yeah, on on an eleven million dollar budget. I think this was a surprise. Like, hit. This was a much more of a surprise hit than Ghostbusters, though. Yeah, um, exactly. And and didn't have the same. Obviously, you've got the you know the SNL cast that's coming in there. You've got all of these big names that were they're already. Pretty well established. Yeah, and this is this film by nobody starring nobody with Steven Spielberg's name on it, like at the time. Um, yeah, but it's just nice, exactly. and it's nice to watch a movie sometimes, and just have had watch a movie, and I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the technical aspects of it. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the score, and then I'm finished, and I'm done, and lovely. We don't have to save the world. You don't have to fucking have eighteen post credit sequences. We all sit down and have a cup of tea. And like we're all covered in bandages, and everything's fine. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what you. It's kind of what you want sometimes from a movie, isn't it? And yet, this also this also managed to like we had the toys, we had the vi- novels, video games. Like, oh yeah, got to make so, money, Sam. Yeah, that that's probably where the success of this and the continued cultural impact uh, has has you know has gone on because. Like they're cute, aren't they? They're cute. The little Gizbo is a cute character, and people still like that. They like that design less so. Maybe the big evil ones. I wonder if they sold any action figures of the evil ones, mm, of the Gremlins. But the, the Mogwai is like a just wonderfully iconic, iconically designed character, yeah. and that is, I think, the other thing that works really well for this and adds that cuteness factor, which makes people buy the toys and blah blah blah, retaining its cultural. Um, significance in a way that some movies like even if they're really good don't necessarily have the same yeah value 30 odd years later yeah because this is more sort of like you said it's it's that's that mix of a it's not a kids movie definitely but like it's that mix of horror comedy where we lean more more on the comedy here so your teenage you know if you're 12 or 13 you're not going to find this scary it's going to be funny it's going to be 
you know, and and that's the longevity of this movie, really. Um, they did make a sequel, uh, which I've never actually sat down and watched, but I think Joe Dante says reckons the sequels his he prefers the sequel because it it's, leans more yeah. into that zany, like silliness. It's it's I think it's um like a parody of movie sequels in a, in a lot of ways. From what from what I've never seen it either, and it's one of the films that I think we should maybe look at, but. Uh, it didn't do very well. I'm not really sure why, but it was reviewed pretty highly. I think maybe people maybe just thought oh, there's not always a one. There's not always a one-to-one with those, though, is there? No. Um, no. There's, audiences there's will also... go and watch the most fucking trite shit in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's also coming 2023. Oh god. Gremlins three reboot uh, and. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I know. get out of here with your remakes. I mean, I know we've been doing remakes for since we've been doing films, and even then, the films are remakes of earlier plays and books. But still, still, nothing is original, is it? That's the thing. No, nothing nothing's original. been original since the eighteen fifties. <laughs> I don't know, but um, still, we can complain about it. It does seem particularly egregious at the minute. Yeah, but I, I, I guess you know people are still watching it and like, I, I think there's a, I think there's also gonna is there is there like a streaming like a streaming thing of this as well? I'm just reading now an upcoming computer animated fantasy comedy streaming television series set to be released on HBO Max in the United States in 2023. So they're clearly going for they you know what. They're going for exactly what we just complained about. Someone's got the, the rights and they want to make some money. Gremlin Cinematic Universe. That's what's coming, <laughs> isn't it? That's what's coming. And I that's... just... Again, Charlie, it's some studio it. executive sat there thinking, looking at some figures and saying, right, um, you know, this X amount of millions of people are watching Gremlins every year. Like, let's get some money from them. It's an IP, it's a franchise, it's a property that has not been utterly exploited with every single sense of wealth possible uh, squeezed out of it. Like, that's basically what what, they, what, they, what they've said, isn't it? And I guess that's the movie-making business, so if you're going to go with something that works well, that's what you should do. Yeah. It's uh... One last fact before we finish. Just a really... Just a really settle down and, and make us realise how close this was to an absolute failure. They tried to use monkeys. <laughs> monkeys, still funny. They tried to use monkeys for this. They tried to put monkeys in gremlin heads, masks, and parade them, you know, have them running around. And not and this is really horrible, actually, but not until the, 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 in, when they were testing them, the monkey basically had a panic attack. And and just went, no, get this off me now. Did they decide that, that wasn't the of right course, thing to do? And you think, of course they did. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, it could be so much worse. Yeah, I'd love to go back in uh, the horror genre. I suppose this sort of sits in. Um, I'm not a big horror buff by any stretch of the imagination. No. But I'd really love to go back and watch... Some like older B movie horror movies that inspired this. I mean, the sort of, sort of stuff that Joe Dante's like drawing on to make movies like this. 
you know, where they're not necessarily intended to be like cheesy and not scary and funny, but like they are mm-hmm. because, you know, it's some guy in a gorilla costume or, you know, just a little yeah, mask. Yeah. Like it's quite obviously because though they do exist and there's, and you know, someone who's more conversant in the, in the genre would certainly um, have more interesting things to say, but I'd love to explore that. It's hard to know where to start really, isn't it? We were talking because the other day. So much of- Monkey movies we were talking about the other day. That's a good example of the sort of older movie that's just like, oh, we're just gonna we're just cast monkeys in our movies, and that's gonna be, be a movie. It'll be yeah, it'll be I'm, absolutely fine. I'm really interested to see how they make that monkey play American football in 1954. What, what, what was this? What, what was this? It monkey? was Bo- Bonzo. Bonzo. There's like a Bonzo series. He's a he's a an orangutan, I think, or maybe an ape. I'm not sure. Uh, right. and it's one where he's he's a quarterback at a college and I think the plot revolves around the family trying to stop them from stopping the monkey playing quarterback for this college playing quarterback for a college football team college, not amazing. even high school, college amazing I'm seeing a bedtime for Bonzo uh, which stars Ronald Reagan from uh, 1951. Does he play the monkey? He does not play I think this is perhaps a different movie than what you're saying, but I, I'm interested in uh, a Ronald Reagan-led monkey movie. <laughs> I think that's probably a good place for us to go. Just like when he was in the White House, eh? Yeah. <laughs> that was the lowest Satire. of low-hanging fruit. <laughs> um, let's end it on that, shall we? I'm not getting yeah. funny it's just stand up from here. <laughs> <laughs>